probably the most common question I get from serious new disciples is how do I know that I'm going to go to heaven? How do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? And it's hard because the answer is you don't, right? You don't know. It's hope. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave Allwilly. <laughs> can't even say it. I'll lift weights in your living room, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I will. I I'm, will in the middle of a party right now. I'll just bust it out. <laughs> I imagine that's a new form of evangelization, humiliating yeah. the the dads in the room by you benching or deadlifting more. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I have a really low bench. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. I've been meaning to talk to you about I, that. <laughs> did I ever tell you about the time that I I tried to do I tried a, a strongman competition? You never. You told me that you were trying for it, but never that you actually did yeah. it. No. What yeah, happened? yeah, yeah. I tried. I, yeah, I tried one, and it was uh, it was a little bit of a disaster. So, um, <laughs> just emotionally, it was a little bit of a disaster. So, uh, the the one I did, it happened to be one where you can qualify for like bigger competitions. So they had like amateur level and then pro level as well. Okay. 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 And. Um, and the way strongman competitions work is like there's always like some sort of a deadlifting portion. There's some sort of a uh, like a weighted carry portion. There's uh, some sort of a uh, let's see, um, like something like putting throwing kegs, uh, empty yeah, kegs over, a, you know, something like that. Yeah. OK. And um, the, usually a tire flip. OK. Why not? So. And there's always an overhead component, okay? So, like, lifting something over your head, okay? So, here's the problem with this, is that do you have, like, 400 people, right, competing in this? And some of them are amateurs and some of them are pros. So, like, I feel great about myself. The first competition we did was the tire flipping competition, which most people can't practice. But I happen to have a 350-pound tire in my yard. So Why I, not? I, Why not? So, I just beast this out right i dominate in this competition i'm like way ahead in points you know everything's like awesome you know right and i was so excited and you know my ego got the best of me right and then the next thing was the overhead <laughs> competition and i'm just naturally kind of strong so i um i didn't i didn't really i and i have bad shoulders so i didn't really practice it very much so for the overhead competition, it's basically how many times you can just do a military press, right, uh, with a certain amount of weight. And uh, at least at this competition, it was. And you're next to lots of people who are trying to qualify for things. And so I just happened to get in line with people. There were four women who were like working on who were not amateurs like they were the professional. And women. they yeah. And they just destroyed me they took it down a peg destroyed me yeah and it was it was uh like emotionally damaging to me like it was so like literally i'm i i fear these women that they, that i'll meet them in a dark alley at some point right uh and they definitely looked at me like what's wrong with you you know yeah. so it was not it wasn't like they were friendly about it or like anything like that so dave anyways your life is so bizarre why like, what uh, okay uh mild-mannered uh guy goes to uh franciscan university doesn't major in theology majors in business 
Because my dad made me. Becomes a lay assistant to exorcists. Okay. Uh, does a podcast on evangelization. Is a pro-life warrior. And in mm-hmm. his spare time, um, on top of fathering a trillion children, in your spare time, you uh, you you do taekwondo uh, and world's strongest man competitions. You're a bizarre well, there, human being. Well, there's logic to all of it. I mean, it all has a reason. You know, there's always a reason. This is what I was thinking because I've been working on writing a little bit of a... I imagine you are lifting the overhead thing. The women are laughing at you. You drop it to the ground and, and you look at them and you say, man, you think this is humiliating. What about our Lord and Savior stretching forth his arms <laughs> on the cross and dying for your sins? <laughs> I'm if, not that on the nose going. And then, and then you I'm walk up and you nose. start praying over them and one woman has a demon <laughs> and you get it to say its name. Quick to us! Quick to West, and then it says its name, and then you cast no. it out. None of this ever happens. No, I mean not is, like that. This not is in li- that way. This is literally not in, way. in my head what you do all day, either. <laughs> but I do, I do want to say two things real quick before we begin. Number one, um, the nickname was furnished by friend of the show John DeRosa, who has his own podcast, the Classical Theum Pod Theism Podcast. I've been oh a- yeah, yeah. I- I'm dying to listen to this. Yeah, he's he's really good. He interviews a ton of people. His, his whole thing is like proving the God of classical theism. So he goes through, you know, the attributes of God and all that good stuff. And then he brings in Christianity. And then he brings in Catholicism. So he does these like three tiered approach. And so he wants, I go on about every three months um, ish. And so he wants me to come on and talk about the charisma in different ways, basic, intermediate, and advanced. So he sent me an email. So he also sent about 10 uh, nicknames for you, which I love. Thank you. Keep them coming. I love how that <laughs> grew up organically. Like people have no idea. Yeah, like, right. Every email. We someone did not comes plan up with, that. Right? I know. They come up with another nickname for you, and it makes my heart so happy. Um, yeah. Another thing I want to bring up is uh, uh, we just got back from the Steubenville, Florida slash Steubenville Live conference. It was wild, dude. It was not wild. we, just you. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it was yeah. the royal we. It was the royal we because I'm the king <laughs> of conferences. Yeah, right. No, man, it yeah. was weird. So we went to Florida. Uh, there were you know 300 ish kids in attendance in a grand ballroom that could have easily had you know 800 to a thousand people. And then they broadcast it live, so they had a separate host, Chris Pageant, who did all the live stuff. Brian K- or yeah, did the Zoomville live. Uh, the live streaming and then we had brian kissinger who's a good friend of ours who did the um he did all the in-person hosting and all that stuff so the event online was friday and saturday whereas obviously the normal conference is friday saturday sunday so it was it was bizarre doing it not that they did a bad job they actually did a, a pretty a pretty amazing job but it's so weird where you're used to this very conference having 3,000 kids in person. Right. To having 300, everyone wearing masks, everyone socially distant. And right next door, this is the most bizarre thing of all, right next door was a women's volleyball competition that brings in like 40,000 or 30,000. There were only 17,000. So they all stayed in our hotel. So you have women, these high school girls, walking around in their short volleyball shorts, oh and all the men gosh. are like, I'm staring at the ceiling right now. <laughs> you know? And Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, right. it was it was pretty funny. And, uh, and then I come home only to find out that my neighbor who lives across the street who owns a volleyball team is there <laughs> my daughter's is it, friends oh, that's family. funny yeah they're like yeah we're just hanging out in florida right now and i was like ask him if they were in orlando so but the conference was really interesting when you um we had the first thing where you're trying to balance the engagement with people online because it's hard just to stare at a screen 
Right. And there's no right. back and forth. So what you do is you create like questions and polls and stuff like that that you can give the kid that someone, you know, is typing into the thing as you're going so that the kids who are streaming it online can communicate with each other and all that stuff. And there's a chat feature that they had to shut down because the online people that watch it was like eight to ten thousand. And it was probably even more wow. than that. Yeah, because some people signed up as a youth group, so they watched it in a youth room with, you know, all this different stuff. So we probably had, like, I don't know, maybe ten to 12,000 people watching. But the crazy thing was the first talk, Oscar gave a great job for the first keynote. And in the middle, he asked the poll, and he asked kids, bring out your phones if you're in here or hop on the chat right now, and here's a, here's a poll that we're going to do. And they, they set out this poll, and it was just like an open-ended question, like, what have you been struggling the most with since quarantine? And overwhelmingly, the kids say depression. So he lets about five minutes go by, and then he answers, or he brings up the results of the poll. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that would ruin me. That would literally ruin me, having to shift right. online, shift off, have all the kids pull out their phones, then put them away, then pull them out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, guys, uh, right. when I give my talk on Saturday night, can I not do any polls? So they did all that stuff. They realized, like, right. Oscar could do that in the middle of his talk by the way he structured his talk, but it, it would have broken my brain. And so that's one of the caution, the cautionary tales of this stuff is like, we got to figure <laughs> out how to insert the online content in a very healthy and smooth way. Because as a presenter, that would have ruined my talk being like, okay, now we're going to see what some people have said to the question yeah. I put out there at the beginning. So they do things like they'd ask like an hour before so that they could have the results before, you know, at the beginning of the talk and stuff like that. So, wow. so this is like intense. That's crazy. It is, and this is, this is a word of caution I want to have to every parish who's thinking, oh, I'm just going to do stuff online, a live stream it, do it on demand, whatever. It is harder to do this stuff than it is in person. It is right. harder to get the, right. to do a quality oh, job. And people, people don't realize that, like to create titles and slides that you can and B-roll that you can cut away to that makes sense. People do not understand how important that stuff is to continue the narrative. That's why the medium is the message. It forces you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't have done, like go to a poll in the middle of a talk, like the medium changes things. We would never do that in the middle of a class because it would be more organically incorporated if you're a catechist in a classroom, right? Like, right. all right, what do you guys think? Well, that doesn't feel like right. everyone stop, take out your phone, read this question, write your answer, let's compile it, now let me read the results. You know, it, it just becomes a totally different beast. And so in order to do it well, people don't – like uh, I was listening to a, pro uh, a teacher at a public school and she was saying – or at a private school and they were saying like parents are demanding – to pay us less money because the kids aren't in the classroom. It's actually doubling the amount of work I have to do in order to supply a digital or hybrid class. And I believe that. Yeah, I believe that 100%. But, but people don't think in that in those terms. So she listed out all the extra stuff she had to do and you're just like, "Oh, this is so this is so difficult." So my my word of caution, my word of caution. If you're going to do something online, you got to really think it out, you got to really plan it out, and if you're paying people to do it online, you should probably pay them more. <laughs> because there's a yeah. lot more work that goes into it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I, it's so off-putting to talk into a camera. It really is. Yeah, it's strange. But well, that's cool. I, if you know, uh, those conferences are still available. So if you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to take uh, part in them live, uh, feel free to jump online. And I'm sure there's a link on the Franciscan University website. You know, for uh, Night of Hope or 
you know the other the other conference as well so yeah i started to watch night of hope uh yesterday thank god they're on youtube and you can move it to double speed and <laughs> i wanted to use that as like a, a a beautiful uh even sensual segue into our topic for today what sensual having to do with the senses it's beautiful we're talking about hope you want to talk about hope yeah i'm in no, really? Because you seem hesitant there. You're you're staring no, no, off I'm, into the clouds. You're like, oh, no, yeah, no. I meant no. I'm thinking about things right now. That's all. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm so I'm so nervous and insecure. Uh, <laughs> so in talking about hope, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about when we were going through our sin series was it can be very easy to lose hope. So I mean, it, it, hope was kind of like the smuggled in the background companion of that whole thing because. Like, as you're talking about in the first episode, some of the holiest people you know are doing some of the most depraved, sinful things because they're in the middle of trying to pull themselves, or rather let Christ, pull them out of the filth of their sinful lives, right? And their sinful habits. But right. they're still returning to it, but they're, for the first time, battling it, struggling with it, trying to overcome it. And that was beautiful because in the background, there is this notion of hope. That like, why would I fight at all knowing that I keep sinning, knowing that I keep failing, knowing that all this stuff happens is because there is hope that one day I will be free, right? There is this hope that one day I will be out of this mess. And, right. uh, and in terms of the Steubenville Conference, the whole theme was hope does not disappoint, which comes from Romans chapter five. And it was like, because suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And when you start to look at that, suffering, endurance, character, then hope. Like, I think a right. lot of people don't want to do this at all. All these people want to do, is, or all human nature kind of in our fallen state, all we want to do is just get to that end thing. We want to be, hope, yeah. yeah. We want to be fixed. We want to be done. We want to be uh, a finished product. We want to be perfect. We want to have the problems put away, but in doing that, we don't want to take the sacrificial effort of fighting these things, of doing your devotional model. Which again, right there, right, I th yeah. I I think that the the pain is the pedagogy. That's what I've been thinking lately. Right. Mm. That the. The suffering is the pedagogy. It's how God teaches us hope, right? I mean, could he just infuse it? Of course he could, but that's not the way God operates. Right? He He leads us into hope, really, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, well, okay, so now can I be the well-actually guy? Theological virtues are Go infused. Ahead. The theological yes. virtues are infused into the soul, <laughs> the moment of baptism. I I know that, Gomer. Oh, really? Because you use the word infuse as a technical term, and yet it completely contradicted the catechism. I'm going to write you an email. Um, no. So <laughs> in talking about, in talking specifically about how do you have hope in the midst of trial and tribulation, is the founding of your hope, is it in you and your ability to overcome, or is it in Christ? So many men and women beat down by the devil, by sin, by bad habits, by negative attitudes. Yes, I'm going to say it, by that stinking thinking. All of these things, <laughs> I, I heard a Protestant pastor use that like 20 times, and it was so nauseating, but it, it burrowed in my brain. So yeah. many times we give up hope, and the reason why we give up hope is because we're putting the onus on us, our confidence is in ourselves and our own ability to accomplish. 
And as long as the confidence remains in us, it's like Dave doing overhead pulls next to a bunch of women. Humility. Humility, humility, humility. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, you know, an important perspective, I think, particularly for like modern day 2020 people is that the theological virtue of hope is hope for the kingdom of heaven. It's hope yeah. for eternal life and, and everlasting happiness. And so we, I think we tend to think uh, it's more of a promised land sort of thing. Um, and that can be problematic for a lot of people because for a lot of people, the promised land is only going to be heaven, right? There might be people who live a charmed life, but for a lot of people uh, in this Valley of Tears, the promised land is only heaven, right? Uh, it's not going to be necessarily that once you get past this, there's no more suffering in your life. So we have to remember, right? It's hope for the kingdom, right? Hope for eternal life. Yeah. And along that note, there is a um, an excellent book where a Catholic philosopher examines hope from a philosophical and theological perspective. It's a guy named Josef Pieper. And Josef Pieper, in his book On Hope, or just hope, I think, um, he talks about how, like, what does it mean to be a creature? A creature is caught between nothingness from which we came and absolute being towards which we journey, right? And that's the fulfillment. So we are caught between nothingness and everything, absolute being. And so using the language of Plato, right, the philosopher Plato, uh, the, the, the people before Socrates, like Heraclitus, someone would say, well, you can't step into the same river twice, right? Because right. it's, it's always moving. There's movement, movement, movement. It's changing all the time. And then Heraclitus came out and said, you can't even step into the same river once. It's moving all the time, right? And right. so the only right. thing eternal is change. And once you embrace eternal change, that's the only thing that stays constant, right? Where we get that thing, the only thing that's constant is change, right? That, that notion of everything has changed. Well, Plato took that, and for them, being meant fulfilled, perfect, you can't possibly, it can't have any movement because it's already done. It's already perfect. It's static, and so for Plato, he said, well, we have these natures that are about what we are and set the limits of our being. They define us, right? It's the limits of our being. But I'm not fully, I'm still growing and I'm failing and all this stuff. So Plato called it becoming, right? And it's that notion right. of I'm not really a being, I'm a becoming. And his whole right. thing was like, I'm on the journey to become myself. And the Christian tradition, taking up this notion, they call it the, the status via, uh, what is it? Status via Tories the condition or state of being on the way. I'm. Uh, this life is a pilgrimage that doesn't end until I'm removed from time, until I die. And so all the way up to death, the way of man is the way of death, all the way up to it is my journey. And it, like you were just saying, for some people, like there's the hope that they long for won't be realized in this life, but is the ultimate right. fulfillment in heaven, right? And so the, the journey stage is really what this life is. It's what Joseph Pieper calls, with the Catholic tradition, the already and the not yet. Hope right. deals with the not yet. Like, I long for this thing, but it's not here yet, but it's still moving me forward. And that's a thing that I find a lot of people don't want. They, they want presumption. Like, if it's like a lot of Catholics feel, you know, when you said, you know, they just want to go to that hope instead of going through suffering, endurance, character, proven character and then and then hope that's the sin of presumption where it's like it's comfortably the end goal is comfortably already mine i already own it and that is deadly to your soul 
Yeah, uh, I think it's probably the most common question I get from serious new disciples is how do I know that I'm going to go to heaven? How do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? And it's hard because the answer is you don't. Right. right. You don't know. It's hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just it's the same thing. You know, one of the and not to change the virtue, but one of the most striking things I read in Introduction to Christianity by Pope Benedict is is. Uh, it was like I think it was the first page or the first chapter where he's talking about what we have in common with atheists. Yeah. And he says, look, we could be wrong. Right. I mean, it is based on faith. Right. We believe this and it's reasonable, but it in the end, it's based on faith and we could be wrong. Both of us could be wrong. And um, well, not both at the same time, but, you know, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And, and there could be something that we're wrong about. I remember finding that just shocking, but also breathtaking because he's right in the end. Right. It's it's a virtue. And in the same thing with hope. Right. Uh there's no such thing as having hope, but knowing you are going to heaven, right? That's not what it is because hope is related to the eternal kingdom. So if you are saved and there's nothing you can do, that's not hope. That's kind of a game you play, I guess. Well, so St. Augustine would talk about, you know, quoting that scripture verse, we are saved in hope. And he said, not we right. will be saved in hope, but we are saved in in hope, and so he said that, and which is where um, Pope Benedict gets his document space salvi, uh, salvi, which is all on the in in the hope in which you are saved, and that reference in Introduction to Christianity is so powerful, uh, the relationship between faith and doubt. He says the atheist is tempted by faith, and the Christian is tempted by atheism, right? And you can't escape this relationship between faith and doubt. And he talked about, you know, this Jewish atheist who loved to beat up rabbis and pull them out of the rabbinate, the rabbinate uh, by by turning them into atheists. And he walked and he heard this really famous um, rabbi was in town and he walked into the guy's office and he was pacing back and forth and he was reading the Torah and meditating on it. And he looks up and he recognizes the guy and he just looks at him, he holds up the Torah and he goes, but what if it's true? And the guy right. like freaked out. Now, that's not an argument. Right. It's not an right. argument necessarily, but it's it, his whole point was it speaks directly to the struggle with doubt. And so when you take faith and you look at it from the perspective of hope, right, in hope you are saved. What, what does that mean in terms of like the relationship between like faith and doubt? Well, hope is nothingness, right? You came from nothingness. The human heart, especially because of sin, always has this power within itself to turn to nothingness which is ultimately manifested in despair. And so part of the Christian hope is, yes, we don't have it yet, but we are on the way towards it, right? We don't have it in our hands or else we'd be done, but we're on our way towards it. And it's that being, the status of being on the way, we're turning towards nothingness, non-being, annihilation is always a temptation. That's the heart of sin. And then he goes on to say, which I love so much, Joseph Pieper says, but the idea of, once we arrive at that destination, right? So we have the freedom while we're a pilgrim on the way, we have the freedom to turn to nothingness, which is evil and sin. He said, but we also have the freedom to turn towards God. And he said, and when we die and are united to God, he said, the fulfillment becomes so perfect that we have an even greater freedom to never sin. And just the way he phrased that, and he says, so what is eternal damnation? Eternal damnation is being locked in a forever state 
of unfulfillment, whereas right. eternal beatitude is the forever state of eternal fulfillment. And that, like, the, just when you think about, like, existential frustration, I, I will have given my everything to nothingness forever is that that yeah. constant temptation it's it's so it is despair right like it's it's constant despair yeah and you see uh you see hints of this all over right uh we're, we're seeing uh, it, uh what's really sad is we're starting to see like you know the suicide rate skyrocketing and and all this all these problems but there are hints of it everywhere right um uh, even even the idea, right? I, I mean, the constant searching for your passion and for these kinds of yeah. things, oftentimes that's a grasp at some kind of, uh, I don't know, something eternal. Uh, you know that 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 they're they're desperately trying to fill that void, right? And and really, in a certain sense, we have to remember we're a pilgrim church. Yeah. We are in this valley of tears, right? We're here. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven, uh, hopefully, right? And so we need to make sure that, you know, I guess we need to keep our eyes on the prize here and see what what life is about because that is, you know, the only reason. I, I think people see happiness as the opposite of despair when really it's hope that's the opposite of despair. Yeah, and there's this great line uh, from Yosef Pieper where he says, death is the end, but it's not the meaning. The meaning oh. is to go from the status viatoris, right, the the state of being on the way, to the status comprehensoris, right, the status of comprehending or laying hold of the goal, right. And so he's saying, right. like the the idea of death as the end, yeah, that's true, and that's the problem with the existentialist philosopher. They look at everything on being and nothingness, which is a famous existentialist philosopher. He goes, and they always tend towards nihilism because they don't see that the end game of being on the way is to comprehend, is to be one who lays hold of the prize. And so they just constantly evaluate and reevaluate, and they see, like, look, I came from nothingness. I'm going to return to nothingness. Why not despair? The value of – and, and so they don't see the value of a creature's existence as attaining the end of the journey. They only look at the journey, and so they, they see annihilation. They see despair, nihilism, right? And so the what you were saying was so fascinating because you said that's why you see young people you know, following their passions and all this stuff. Oftentimes you hear this phrase, it's not the destination, it's the journey, right? right. And there's an element where that's very true. It's the process. Right. And I remember listening to uh, Jordan Peterson, if you mind me quoting him. He was talking to a group of young men and he said, I take these men, or he was talking to a reporter and he said, they're like, why do young men follow you? And he said, well, here's the deal. They're purposeless, directionless in life. I tell them what you need to do is have responsibility. Clean your room. Do this. Get your house in order. And so he goes through this stuff, and he says, you have to devote yourself to something to be responsible. And he said, and the funny thing is, once you start claiming responsibility, you actually feel more accomplished in life, even if it's just something as stupid as cleaning your room or doing your taxes, which I still need to do. Whoopsie. And you have all this stuff, this momentum. He said, but the crazy thing is... When you devote yourself to an ideal, it's the process that moves you. He said, it's not the destination. And so he started talking, and I was like, uh, uh, because he's not doing theology. He's talking just in a, in a moral way, in a uh, psycho, uh, psychoanalytic way, where he's like, the process of striving is kind of an end in itself for him, because he doesn't see the status comprehensoris, right? Sure. So his sure. whole thing was, he goes, now imagine if you devoted yourself to a transcendental ideal. That was bigger than a career, a job, but 
to God. Right. And he's like, then that means, because he was saying, like, you, you pick a small goal, like, I'm going to run a race, couch to 5K. I'm going to set up a prayer life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We all have these little goals. And he said, men become filled with nihilism when they never attain goals. Once you start to attain goals, you start to set bigger goals and bigger goals. And maybe it's not just clean my room, but clean up my neighborhood, clean up the community, go right. be a politician, go be a businessman, like, go do this, go do that. And then he says, but imagine once you keep attaining and affirming, it's the process that moves you. What if you had a transcendent goal that you could never fully attain, but you could in steps realize? And then I started thinking like, yeah, imagine if it's the kingdom of God on earth. And so he kind of like moralizes the kingdom of God, whereas obviously right. we want to keep that supernaturalized. But the idea of like the destination is that towards which we strive. That's the home of hope. And so many men, especially, are without hope. And I, I think women, too. I'm not a woman, so I don't know. But so many people, we'll just say, are without hope, especially now, because they don't see their way of attaining even small goals without an economy, without a job, without all this stuff. And so they just, when, you, when one can't attain the end, you despair. And we're just seeing this all over the place. And it, it is so destructive, right? It's so destructive. It, isn't it funny how, like, um, you know, I'm starting to think about it from a philosopher's point of view, right? Like that so many philosophies were created to to try to make up for this one position, right? Like hope hope uh, kind of takes care of a lot of different life uh, questions and things like that, right? I mean, if you think about it, like, because Jordan Peterson, you know, it, he... he at least he speaks like one of the stoic philosophers, right? Mm -hmm. um, right, just the excellence, but it's excellence for what? Like, yeah. what is the what is it for? You know, uh, and and I think that that is an issue that like it, it's so. This is weird. I don't know if I've talked to you about this yet, and I'm going on a tangent here. I have like several contacts now, some friends, some just acquaintances who are men who have gotten involved in. I don't know how to even describe them. They're not gangs, but they are like groups of men dedicating themselves to stoic and uh, like Viking type. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know about this? Well, I, yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, there's there is a uh, there is a resurgence right now in stoic philosophy. One hundred percent. Yeah, and I like I like the Stoics. I read them every day and stuff like that. And, and why it, do you read the Stoics every day? I just do. I just do. You're I, such a I bizarre think, person. Why? Why? <laughs> no, no. Stoics are cool. They're good. They're great for raising boys. You know, because there's there's a lot of that. Like, look, no, you you man up. You do you you build the virtues. You 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 have true friendships. You have real, uh, you know, responsibilities. Things like that. So I I like the Stoics. Um, <laughs> but this whole like movement for men to like um. It's it's virtue for virtue's sake. Yeah. And I, I find it exhausting. Oh, really? Yeah, because why why do I care? What well, honestly, honestly, the reason I wake up at at five in the morning, right? The reason I I go, I, I study, the reason I read, the reason I don't jump on Netflix, the reason I don't do this, the reason I do all these things is because of the kingdom of heaven. If you take the kingdom of heaven away, I don't know that I would be able to keep up the rat race of just virtue for virtue's sake. Mm. 
Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm it, sense No, it does because well here because you have an ideal towards which you're striving. They yeah. have an ideal towards which they're striving. They have a transcendental. But what is it? For them, it's the full realization of their powers. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, so yeah, and, and, exactly. and virtue, I mean the word virtue in in the Latin viri means manly strength, right? So the idea of virtue being the strengths, the the completion or realization of my powers is a part of natural hope. Like the funny thing is, Joseph Pieper says, if hope weren't a theological virtue, it wouldn't be a virtue. Why? Because all virtues like justice are ordered to the good. But hope is is more uh, a, an appetite of your irrational or uh, irascible appetite. It's more of a product because you can hope for bad things. Yeah. Right? right. Like, oh, and, right. and you hear this language. Oh, I hope to... Uh, you know, score drugs tonight. I hope for this. You can, right, you, right, right. You can hope for, but it isn't until God's uh, God informs and infuses your <laughs> your su- supernatural theological hope that it's ordered to the supreme good, Him and uh, God Himself. And so, I think people there is a element of the nobility within every human heart that the pagan philosophers correctly in many ways described exalt and if you don't have a god towards which towards what are you striving and i think a lot of people are disillusioned with politics as a like in the 1700s the men of virtue were men who were striving for political good now you have yeah. a bunch of isolated individualists who are doing spartan races who are yeah. you know doing yeah. ultimate fighting and jujitsu, and they're listening to Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson and all this stuff, and they're like, "How can I be the most dangerous but good man I can be?" But the the crazy thing is, even in the midst of all of that, they're subordinating these virtuous ends, almost like to a hedonic principle, hedonism of of like self exaltation. Of course they are. Yeah. Look, I of course they are, and I think that that they have like some weird lifestyle that they're trying to strive for, and it involves a like a earthly yeah. version of heaven. That's what they're they think that this is. You know that if they discipline comes freedom for them. I think in a certain sense, and in in a certain sense, they're right. I mean, that's literally Jocko Willink's title of his book: "Discipline Equals Freedom." That's his motto. Are you, oh, oh, are you serious? Yeah. It's, I don't. I see. I don't know who Jocko Willink is. The Navy Seal guy. Is yeah. That what, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I'll tell you this in my life. Okay. And there was a time in my life where I w- I would have liked to have been the greatest fighter in history. Okay. Like that really. And I would, and I was serious about it. Like I worked towards it. You know, the second I met Jesus Christ that I knew that that was the equivalent of me saying, I'd like to get out of bed in the morning. Like it was just, it's just not, it's never going to fulfill them. Yeah. And I feel, I wish I could say that to them. I mean, I like this movement. I like the idea of, you know, the responsibility and the discipline and 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 I think that's good and I do think our country kind of needs it but I wish I could say to them like it's not going to work man it's this is this is the equivalent of of a tiny feat and it's not going to fulfill you because I I remember the you know the, the it almost instantaneously it my desire for that was gone mm-hmm. because it wasn't big enough yeah yeah, and that and what you just described is you just transcended a temporal good for the eternal good, 
right? You realize, like, in, right. you know, uh, you held the candle up to the sun and you realize, come on, candle. <laughs> like, come right. on. It reminded right. me of that Simpsons quote where Ned Flanders took Homer to uh, a football game of their local team. And he's like, you got these amazing seats right on the 50 yard line. And then a player came up and was like, hey, Ned, here's the game ball. And, and he's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know Ned Flanders? And the football player goes, yes, I had a life of money, fame, and women. But Ned showed me I could have more. And you meant, obviously, God. And, right. and then Homer goes, professional athletes always wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that, at its core, there's true. an element of hopelessness. That's why G.K. Chesterton said so powerfully, reading my penny catechism on the day I became Catholic, I read a simple sentence. Uh, uh, Between hope lies the two heirs of despair and presumption. And in that sentence, I read the twin um, sins of my age, of my of my country. Like, we either despair of ever attaining the good or we presume that we already have it and it'll be easy, no problem. And we do. Like, we oscillate between yep. these two things. Yep. And yep. the sad thing for me about the Stoics, the Stoics talk about virtue, but the, the, uh, the virtues, but Stoicism is framed around one virtue overall. Do you know what that one virtue is? No. It's apathy. In Greek, it's apatheia. In Latin, it's, uh, well, I'm not going to say in Latin. It's indifference. It's the idea. That's why there are so many, like, Stoicism was invented by the Greeks, but perfected and practiced in large part by almost all of Roman society's nobility. And the idea is, hot or cold, I don't care. I do the right. I do the, I do the truth. I live the truth. I do the good. Right? Hot or cold. What, you know, I, so there's all these stories of Roman politicians who are the perfect embodiment of the Stoa right? The Stoic philosophy. And right. they are executing their own sons for committing crimes. And they go right. to the execution and it doesn't move them, right? Because I'm right. choosing justice, whether it's, whether it, you know, I've, I've transcended my emotions. And that is not a Christian ideal, right? The, yeah. the idea of above all put on love, right? And so right. you see how faith, hope, and love transcend even the height. And many of the early church fathers were Stoics, Many of them, right, and they right, saw right. like just some martyr and whatnot. They saw that they had to leave parts of Stoicism behind so that they could pursue Christ. Oh yeah, I mean, there's and there's a I, there's a lot more problems than just that. I mean, there are definitely it, it's a it's a it's a Nietzsche like Superman, you yeah. know, of in, in the end too. Like you know, the the weak would get get bossed around by the strong period yeah. you know so then, be the and, strong right and so, so be the strong fight and be the strong and what is christ right. the strongest must become the least right or, or must serve the least so then you have um with the rise of nietzschean philosophy a brilliant catholic philosopher named alistair mcintyre who wrote a book called after virtue and he says we go from a culture of virtues plural to virtue obedience duty apathy to then after virtue, Nietzsche, values, nihilism, get right. what you can, survival of the strongest, all of that stuff. And so this is what we are fighting when we talk about the hopelessness of our age, being overwhelmed by all this stuff. We are proposing a hope that doesn't just, that's not, that's not as cheap as something that'll fix all of our earthly problems here below. It'll make you lose weight and get muscle and all that stuff. But it actually enables one to conquer the problems here below because you're striving for something better. Right. But, you know, a common atheist criticism of, of Christians is they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And it's like, yeah. but think about, think about Martin Luther King and the cause of justice. Like, even though the boot was on his neck, 
right? He still strove. Now, Martin Luther King has a lot of theological issues uh, and denial of the bodily resurrection being the main one, uh, Marxism, so forth. But this notion that carries us like I am willing to even die because I don't count this life as the ultimate good. Right. For the for advancing true justice or or, or love or, or faith or whatever it might be. Every martyr is killed in hope, lays down their life in hope that the not yet of Christianizing their nation. One thinks of that movie Silence, where all the lay people are being brutally murdered, and it's the pre the Jesuit priests who end up betraying the faith. But they laid down their lives in hope that Japan would become a Christian nation. Right? Speaking of martyrs and bringing this to an end. Yes, sir. Uh, we, I mean, I, I think it should be clear, like for the evangelists, like that hope is going to be a primary, I don't know how to say it, a primary focus on evangelizing modern man in America in, in this time, right? Like you've got to pray for hope. You've got to give reasons for hope. You have to exp- display hope. So, so take that. But moving on to the martyrdom issue, I think it's important, right, that uh, as evangelists um, and as disciples of Jesus Christ, we we bring to your mind, right, that we need to pray right now for for those who are being persecuted as Christians, that they would have that virtue of hope. And if you're not following this, right, uh, the the communist leaders of China, of Red China, right, have stepped up an unbelievable persecution uh, more so than it has been in the last 20 years. So um, it's it's not this isn't just the same old same old. They are they are uh, strategically going after and trying to change the minds of of Christians all over China right now. So uh, we have to pray for their hope. We have to pray for their ability to withstand this because it is it is scary and and, and sad what is going on over there. Um, and the Chinese have perfected the art of getting Christians to turn. Um, it's not just martyrdom. They're not just going and slaughtering them. It is they're trying desperately to put them into re-education camps and to desperately get them to deny Jesus Christ. So please, uh, it might not. It might seem that I just took this in a whole, whole different direction, but it's related, right? We yeah. have to pray that they see this. Yeah, and the other fascinating thing is China might be the, the ground where the most blood is being spilled of our Christian brothers and sisters right now. But it's also the fastest growing Christian nation. Yep. Right. There are probably 120 million converts to Christianity in China, and it's progressing rapidly. So yeah, and and most likely that's what they're that's what the the reason is that yeah. the the communists are saying we can't handle this because for a lot of them, especially with evangelical converts, uh ideas like democracy and capitalism go hand in hand with it. Like yeah. the, it's handed on like basically with the gospel. You know? yeah. So, uh, so, you know, that's a very big danger to their government, but it's uh, it's, this is awful, right? This is sad and, and terrible. And we have no idea how easy it is uh, for us here in this country. Yeah, we really don't. All right. So we're going to take a brief pause and then we'll be back with our practical takeaways. But before that, I'm going to remind you to email glory stories to us at EKSB at AscensionPress.com. We got an excellent one from Laura who talked about weaving the kerygma throughout her talk that she gave at the University of Houston via like a Zoom video or something. And I watched it. It was awesome. She can take um, 
the beauty of the gospel and weave it into a talk for college students was so good job was so Laura. great yeah so we want to uh laura we want to have more and more and more people send us glory stories because let's be honest in an age of hopelessness <laughs> we need this to be sustained through that so we'll be right back The saints of the Old Testament would have longed to see what we see in the New Covenant, especially God's presence in the Holy Eucharist. Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford, theologian and co-author of Ascension's newest Great Adventure Bible study, Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant. In this eight-session study on the book of Hebrews, Jeff Cavins and I highlight the movement from the Old Covenant to the New and show how Jesus Christ fulfills the deepest meaning of the temple and Old Testament priesthood. Through this study, you'll gain a deeper appreciation for the power of the Mass, as well as a better understanding of core Catholic beliefs regarding salvation, the sacraments, the creed, and Mary's role in salvation history. To learn more and discover how you can start this study on your own or with a group, visit ascensionpress.com backslash Hebrews. That's ascensionpress.com backslash Hebrews. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow, the Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I hope that uh, you were able to find a great resource here from uh, from Ascension Press. We love being a part of the Ascension Press community, so uh, please take a look at what they're offering right now. And again, as Gomer mentioned before the break, if you have any questions or glory stories especially, we love hearing those, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. And we have five practical takeaways for you guys. So uh, I know you. I know this is your favorite part of the show. Uh, although most people write us and say it's their favorite and least favorite part because they dread doing them. But <laughs> but this is a good one. So uh, Gomer, you want to jump in? No, I want you to go first because okay. you have it all written down and I don't. <laughs> I just remember two and four. <laughs> oh wow! I'm a sad okay, little boy. Good number number one. Uh, we talked about hope today. Uh, pop open your catechism. Uh, catechism paragraphs eighteen seventeen through eighteen twenty one talk about the theological virtue of hope and uh, just do a little catechism study. Uh, it will take you literally all of two minutes to read the entire paragraph. So read them prayerfully and and pour through them. Number two is there is a traditional prayer called an act of hope. I would encourage you to pray the act of hope, faith, hope, and love, the three different prayers. But importantly, maybe at noon, pray the act of hope, kind of like the already but the not yet, right? You're still going through your day. Kind of status via Tories uh, lived <laughs> out, right? Yeah, you get it. You get it. <laughs> Everyone write Gomer and tell him to stop with these crazy things. Um, number three, uh, <laughs> Examination of conscience, right? We always add in one of these things. Do an examination conscience based on the, the the virtue of hope. And this is actually easier than you might think. If you just Google examination of conscience based on hope or examination of conscience based on the theological virtues, uh, a lot of resources will come up. Uh, and uh, uh, a lot of uh, examination of conscience are actually organized in this way. So yeah. uh, take a look at hope and, and, the, and the ways that we're kind of um, uh, giving into despair. Number four is bust out the document from Pope Benedict of Space Salvi. Um, read his theological reflections on the relationship between faith, hope, and love, and especially on hope and salvation. It is powerful. Awesome. 
And finally, number five, we talked about the Christian community in China. Please uh, say a special prayer for them this week that they, that God would strengthen them and uh, that there would be an end to persecution of Christians in the world. Persecution of all religions, but persecution of our, of our uh, Chinese brothers and sisters. Uh, uh, it, it's really, it's, it's sad what's happening there. So please say a prayer, uh, add that into your daily devotions. Yes. Okay. So that's intercession. That's learning. That's all the things that we do for five practical takeaways. If you'd like this in your email inbox, head on over to ascensionpress.com, click on media and go find our podcast in there and sign up for, you can get updates. You can get all sorts of stuff. They have so many programs on Ascension now that they're using a partnership with Thinkific. I think is how you pronounce it. That does their, it's their enhanced learning program. And it is awesome. So if you're looking on how to do um, continue faith formation at your parish, sacramental prep, Bible studies, uh, Ascension Press has got you covered, baby. So um, <laughs> so thank you all uh, very much. And I hope you have a good day. See what I did oh, there? Oh, that is the worst. See what I did God there? bless you guys. And thanks for listening. <laughs> Adios.